0: this morning with part six. Can you believe that? Of an 11-week series, part six. We are in the book of 2 Timothy. We're unpacking this last letter, this last letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Who's Paul? Well, Paul is this great uh, leader of the early church and he's coming to the end of his life, the end of his pastoral run. He finds himself 800 miles. Try to figure that out. What's that in kilometers? And try to figure that well, What's the distance? It's quite a, quite a distance, is it? He's, he's 800 miles from Timothy, who's in Ephesus. Timothy is the early church leader in Ephesus, this young leader. And Paul is in this Roman prison cell. Imagine this prison cell just for a moment if we could. It's overcrowded. It's dark. It's a dungeon. It's damp. It's pretty, it's pretty dirty. And yet Timothy, uh, Paul finds himself with Timothy on his mind, and he begins to write this letter. And uh, he writes this dream, this picture, to remind Timothy, 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 you are made for more. And I was speaking to Royce. I don't know if he's here today. He's had a big couple of days. But Royce reminded me the other day about this, this, this idea of this series, Made for More. That when we think of that, that particular name, made for more, we think it's tomorrow. But it's not actually tomorrow. You are made for more today. Very good. You are made for more today. And thanks, Royce, for reminding me of that. So he writes this picture, this dream, to remind Timothy, Timothy, you are made for more, not tomorrow, but today. And he tells Timothy, I'm proud of your sincere faith. It's not a hypocritical faith. Look at others and tell them to drop those masks. And Timothy, to fan in the flame the spiritual gifts that God has blessed you with. But don't be intimidated, because they'll come your way. Those voices and that pressure will come your way as an early church leader... Fear will probably rise up, but don't forget, Timothy, he says, I have not given you a spirit of fear. For I have given you a spirit of what? Of power, of love, and a sound mind. And he goes on in in chapter 1, he says, to be brave. Because when you are brave, you won't be ashamed of the gospel's power because the gospel has power even today to transform and change people's lives. But to stand strong in the gift of grace, that which is upon you, Timothy Paul is saying. And as we move into 2 Timothy chapter 2 here today, in these just a couple of verses, Paul brings to our attention three characters and three unique fields. And he highlights these for us for a particular reason, I think. And we're going to unpack that today. We're going to read this passage, then we're going to unpack this verse by verse. And Paul wants you and I to understand how these three specific characters can help you live the most satisfied life possible. Not that kind of life that Mick Jagger spoke about. I can't get, no, that one, well, yeah, It's yes. not that kind of satisfaction. But Paul is talking about a satisfied life that was testified out of the waters of baptistry today by Brother Craig. Was not that awesome? These three char- characters... Are going to paint a picture for us here this morning. Let's open the word to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, and we're going to take this apart. Let's see what it says, 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 6. It's on the screen if you don't have your smartphones or Bibles or journals and things like that. It says this, this is Paul, it says this, Join with me in suffering, Timothy, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Verse 4, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Verse 5. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Did we pick up the three characters in the reading this morning? What did we pick up? What was the first character? The first character was a soldier. Very good. A soldier. The second character was a athlete. Very good. The th- you guys have been listening. That's good. You're reading this. The third, the third character we're going to reflect on this morning is what? A farmer. So what have we got? A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. This is uh, what Paul trying to get with... Uh, Timothy here what's he saying well think about the fields that these three characters work in a soldier a soldier a battlefield an athlete works in an athletic field and a farmer in an agricultural field now before we try to get some kind of understanding where Paul's coming from here we've got to go back to the ancient near east and kind of understand how Timothy was hearing this When he was reading this particular letter from Paul, this is important because in the ancient Near East, in the Greek and Roman culture, it's important to understand where he was coming from with this. We need to understand the importance of these characters in the way Timothy would have understood it. Verse 3 and 4 once again. What does it say? It says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. First character, that of a soldier. Let's talk about this soldier just for a moment if we could, because to the Romans, there was this thought that we live to be a soldier. And as children were growing up in the day, as a child, they would hear this as well, they would know this, to aspire to be a soldier of the Roman army is something that I want to do with my life. That a soldier was somebody of importance. And when you saw a soldier, that's who you wanted to aspire to be. You wanted to be a soldier. But there was a mandate that came with being a soldier. You see, there's four things that were very important. That if you were going to be a soldier, number one, you had to be willing to sacrifice. You had to be willing to sacrifice. You had to be willing to sacrifice your own life. For what? For the sake of others. So that's the first thing you had to do if you were going to be a soldier. The second thing you had to be willing to do was to be obedient. Obedient. Now, there are two parts to this when it comes to being obedient. First of all, you had to listen well. Men, (laughs) how well do we listen? No nudging, by the way, ladies. (laughs) To be obedient, there are two parts. We've got to listen well, and we've got to respond quickly. Listen and respond, listen and respond. That comes under obedience. I wonder, in our daily hope, 20 minutes in the chair, where we encourage each of us to sit down with God, open His Word. I wonder how well we listen. And I wonder when we listen, and God's Spirit speaks through His Word, I wonder how well we respond. You see, to be obedient as a soldier was to listen, to respond, and to move. What's the question that a two-year-old always asks? For those who... Exactly. Who said that? Who, who what did you say? Why? why why a 2 year old always asks the question why every parent certainly knows that after the third why that we respond with because i said so because i said so but why 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 well, coming back to the soldier illustration just for a moment, Paul's telling Timothy, there would be no soldier who would ever ask their commanding officer this particular question. Go to battle. Yes, sir. They would go to battle. They would listen. They would respond because they have that trust and they have that respect for their commanding officer because they believed that he or she at the time they knew best. You see, my question is how many of us find ourselves looking up at God and questioning Him? Why? Why? And as we open our word, as we go to prayer, that's our uh, our weapons that we use in the spiritual battle that we're in. And God's prompting us. He's guiding us. He's leading us. He's speaking to us. And just like a two-year-old, we ask that question, well, why? Well, why? You see, if we had the trust... What Paul's saying here of that of a soldier to his commanding officer, we would listen, we would respond quickly to the promptings and the desires of God. The third thing, the third thing, first thing, sacrifice, obedience. The third thing is loyalty, loyal, that a soldier would be loyal, loyal to their unit, loyal to their people, and loyal to their commanding officer. The fourth thing is that they were devoted. Devoted to who? Devoted to what? devoted to their commanding officer you see there was this kind of if I could call it a Roman code that they did not want a soldier to have multiple commanding officers they did not want a soldier to become distracted because if a soldier gets distracted their loyalty their devotion their obedience and their sacrifice might just waver and so Paul is telling Timothy here, you can only have one. You can only have one commanding officer. And so my question is, and maybe Paul's question here is to us this morning, how many of us get distracted when the promptings of God come to us? When somebody asks us or when, we are, when we, God speaks to us about a certain thing and we, we know we've got to obey, but we don't. And we get distracted. So that's the first character. That's the soldier. Let's go on to the second character. What was the second character? Athlete. Very good. An athlete was the second character. Verse 5 says, "Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the what? To the rules." Think about an athletic field at the moment. Oh, I love this one. I love this one. An athletic field. This is a big deal, of course, to the, to, the, to the Romans and the Greek culture of the day. They loved chasing after the crown. They loved chasing after the medal. They loved pushing themselves to win. And, of course, the Olympics has always been a big thing throughout the ages. But what's the difference? I want to ask you a question as we think about the athletic field. What's the difference between an amateur athlete and a professional athlete. What's the difference? What is it? The money. Somebody says the money. <laughs> well, maybe if I could put it this way, professionals show up daily. Athletes, sorry, amateurs generally show up weekly. Okay, let's go with that just for a moment. Now, I give you another personal illustration of a coup. My wife, she's here today, without two children. My wife, last weekend, played her first game of netball in 30 years. <laughs> no training. No preparation. How do you think she went? Ha) <laughs> yeah say what you want come along with my illustration if you could (laughs) would you say she went professional or amateurish (laughs) anyway i won't go into any, any of that anymore i'll leave that one there let's come back to the professional if we could just for a moment uh, a professional, professionals. They are so disciplined, aren't they? They're so disciplined with strength training, with cardio, with nutrition, with their routine, with their weight training. They are disciplined athletes, aren't they? Who remembers the 2000 Olympics in Sydney? You know, it was an incredible, incredible occasion for our country here, wasn't it? It was an amazing time. What was that, 17 years ago? Wow. But uh, there is a massive, I guess, get to the bottom of my point. There's a massive difference, isn't there? Between a Uh, an average sports team or sports person to that of a professional sports person and congratulations to the richmond tigers i haven't had a chance craig i was here today and uh, ben yeah anyone else all right but as let's come back as christians as christians i want to ask the question do we show up weekly or are we devoted are we devoted to the cause to the power, the gift, and the Spirit of God that is before us. Because here's what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying, I want you, Timothy, to be a disciple 24-7, to take this seriously, to get that hunger deep within you, to live out the life and the light of Jesus before you, not just a weekly thing, not just a fortnight, not just a, you know, to be present in what you've been blessed with. I'm asking the question this morning, which one are you? Are you Jesus centred? Or is it just a weekly kind of thing for you? I'm going to challenge us in a moment, just in a moment. I'm going to invite us to stand, in fact, just in a moment. But before I do, let's go back to the athlete. Let's think about this athlete just for a moment. I like this particular point. And, uh, because the, an athlete, they've got to know the game plan. You imagine the Richmond Tigers showing up to their grand final and not having that sense of game plan, not studying who, th- who the players were on the opposite team. They knew the game plan going into their grand final. And Paul um, knew, to to speak this into Timothy's life, that he knew he he needed that game plan, that sense that it was more than just the mindset of being an amateur. But it had to be a serious kind of deal. It had to be a 24-7 disciple. And I'm asking you the question as we move on. Which one are you? Which one are you? So, we move from the battlefield to the athletic field to the agricultural field. What's our third character? The farmer. Very good. Verse 6 says, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Now once again, Timothy's hearing this with ancient Near East ears on and eyes open and he's hearing this and he's seeing this play out. He's understanding this and this this is a crucial role, of course, back then as it is today, that these farmers are hardworking people. They've got the shovels, they've got the picks. They don't have the dozers, the diggers, the the tractors and things like that, of course. Have you ever met a farmer? You ever met a farmer? We have a number of farmers here in our beautiful state of Tasmania, don't we? They are hardworking people. Have you ever shaken the hand of a farmer? It's strong. It's strong. They've used those hands. And uh, these are hardworking men and women. Why? They're up early. As soon as that sun gets up, they're up. They're out in the fields, they're preparing the soil, they're planting and scattering the seed. Then they water it, they protect it from what? The dust, the bugs, the things that will come along and destroy it. And then what? They wait. They wait patiently. Because they understand patience. They understand, yes, hard work, but they also know how to wait well. I've got a question for us this morning. Do you think our culture today knows how to wait well <laughs> i think you're right i'm with you what about when we're at the supermarket <laughs> you know we had this guy didn't we the other day at the We had this guy and he came up behind us and there are other lanes opening he was kind of getting a bit miffed that it's like, i can't wait i can't wait you know uh, anyone else ever experienced yeah yeah you know we always choose that wrong lane don't we what about the microwave you flick 30 seconds come on 30 seconds <laughs> you see when it comes to spiritual formation we want instant spiritual formation but I want to say over us this morning this that you cannot microwave spiritual formation just like it is with a farmer who scatters the seed sows the seed waits, waits patiently it takes time spiritual formation It's a process that we have to work the soil. We have to protect it. We have to water it. And then what do we have to do? We have to wait. But there's work to be done in the waiting. And then you experience what? You experience what every farmer longs for after all that hard work. Hard, hard work up early to bed late. You experience the what? The harvest. You experience the harvest. You experience the harvest. I want to ask this question, what do you think, and I've had time to think through this because of planning time and things like that, what do you think that an athlete, a soldier, and a farmer mean to us today? Well, I haven't read a verse yet, and it goes like this. Verse 7 says this, this is interesting, this is what really got me as I was doing my prep for this, it says this, this is Paul to Timothy, verse 7 in chapter 2, it says, reflect, Timothy, Reflect. Reflect on what? Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. What Paul is saying to Timothy is this. Figure it out. Figure it out, Timothy. You'll be right. Figure it out. What I've just said, figure it out. Reflect on this, Timothy. Reflect on this. God will show you. And of course, as he heard with those ears, with those eyes, as he was reading this letter, he knew about these three particular characters. But what do they mean to us today? I think they mean the same to us today in what Paul was trying to say to Timothy in those days. The key idea that Paul was trying to tell Timothy to instill in him was this. Who is your commanding officer? And that's the question I want to ask you today. That's what I want to get to the bottom of in a moment. And in a moment, as I said, I'm going to invite you to stand. It won't be for everyone. I'm going to invite you to stand. But let me just keep going just for a moment if I could. Because depending on your commanding officer, Paul would say, you will have a different philosophy. You will have a different trajectory. You will have a different way in which you will live your life and orient your life. Depending on your commanding officer, Paul would say to Timothy, it will deeply affect your harvest. It will deeply affect the satisfied life. When you get to that end of your life and you look back on your life, will you truly be satisfied with the life that you have been given? Love the testimony of Craig over here this morning in the baptistry. I now have purpose in my life. I am now living a different way of life, the life that God has blessed me. We've got a lot lot to learn, don't we all? Don't we all? I love that testimony. So what are some examples of commanding officers in our life? For some of us, for some of us, for some of us, the commanding officers, um, the loudest voices that, that come to our lives is shame, fear, false expectations appearing real, lies, past decisions, image, Let's take these couple of things just apart just for a moment, because most of the world is completely driven profoundly by one thing. What is it? Money. Very good. Money. Now, money in and of itself is not a bad thing. The Bible talks about that, doesn't it? It says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. So money's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, we need money to develop the vision and mission that God's given us. So I'm not saying that. But when the commanding officer, when that money is your primary commanding officer, that's why some people get up each and every morning. morning, More money, more money, more money, and it's never enough. And at the end of their life, they may have harvested money, but underneath underneath it, they've harvested, in fact, greed. What's another commanding officer in our life? Let's go to image. Let's go to image. Image is a pretty big thing in the days in which we live. What do magazines and Instagram try and sell us? Image, image, style, smooth skin. This is how you do your hair. This is how do you hang out. How you look and how you feel is not a bad thing at all in and of itself. I'm not saying that. But if it's your commanding officer, if it's number one in your life, I think that's what Paul is trying to challenge us with. What do you harvest when image is your commanding officer? Maybe some form of narcissism. (laughs) Maybe some form of, you know, the the ego thing going on. Let's go to a third one. Let's go to uh, uh, a commanding officer. Let's go to shame. If shame is your commanding officer, like a shadow, it follows you. Those pictures of the past. Those lies that have been told and said over your life, where we may have hurt others or we've hurt ourselves. You see, when shame is your primary commanding officer, and then you go and open your Bible, those daily hope, 20 minutes in the chair, that sense of guilt and anger tends to rise up, which creates more shame, and that's why we don't even go there in the first place. And I want to say over our lives here this morning, that's not who God is. Shame. What do you harvest when shame is your commanding officer? Escapism. Escapism. Uh, medication, alcohol, relationships. It's a downward spiral that leads to despair. So I want to ask the question, as we bring this plane into landing here this morning, is this. How many of us live with the confusion of multiple commanding officers in our lives? Because I want to ask you this morning, is it not time? Is it not time to to declare a regime change once and for all? Before we do that, I'm going to invite you to stand just in a moment. It won't be everyone. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, join with me. Join with me. Your commanding officer is to be Jesus in this world. If Jesus is not your commanding officer, all these other things will rise up above him. And that's where your life will eventually become an absolute mess. You will drown out all the other voices if Jesus is your commanding officer. Another question. If Jesus is your commanding officer, what do you harvest? Before I answer that question... Before I answer that question, what separates weekly attendees to being Jesus-centered and others-focused? I think I want to come back to the Word. I want to give you the answer and say, I think it's people who love God's Word. And Timothy, uh, Paul would say to Timothy in a later chapter, chapter 3, verse 16, he would say that all Scripture is what? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. It's useful. For what? For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's useful, Paul says. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for teaching us how to live this satisfied life. It's useful for rebuking us. I don't want to be rebuked. That's why I don't read the word. I don't want to be rebuked. But let me tell you this, that a good, good father, the song we've just sung, a good, good father, wants to help guide you and prevent you from that pain that you're about to walk up that pathway to. And a good rebuke from a good, good father would be that you have too many, you have multiple commanding officers in your life. Paul would say it's good for teaching, it's useful for rebuking, it's useful for correcting. Scriptures will correct you if you open them, if you're slightly off course. It will help straighten your path and light the way and allows you to stay focused on your commanding officer. And he says to finish off with, it trains you in righteousness. It trains you to be that kind of disciple that understands the right way to live and to live that example of Jesus. Every time we are trained in righteousness, we help fulfill God's dream and His intention for the world in which we live. And that's justice and that's peace. It helps us. It rebukes us. It corrects us. And it trains us and it keeps us focused on our commanding officers. So that, verse 17 says, So that the servant of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's so much evil work in our world, isn't there? And as Christ follows, we rise up so that the servant of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. If Jesus Christ is your commanding officer, what will you harvest? People. That's your harvest. That's what we believe in here at Door of Hope. As Craig stood in the baptistry today, that's one of the 1,000 stories of hope and transfer. A 1,000 stories, we'll never get to 1,000. It's happening, people. It's happening. It's happening, people. It's happening. <laughs> Don't sit back and miss what's happening. You'll miss out. Oh, it'll never happen. 1,000, i will never happen. Of course It's happening. If Jesus is your commanding officer, you will harvest people. Every decision you make, if it's founded in the commanding officer as Jesus and it's grounded in the word, will always lead to see people as God sees people. The only thing, the only thing you and I can take to this next reality. And it's certainly not title. And it's certainly not money. Oh, by the way, Rick Warren was once asked, is it okay to be rich? He's a world-leading pastor, which I certainly admire for the work he's done around the world. He was asked, is it okay to be rich? I love his answer. He said, of course it is, as long as you don't die rich. Hmm. So it's not money. It's not title. It's not stuff, and it's certainly not shame. It's people. And this is what God desires for us. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to close our eyes before we stand, well, before we take communion, in fact. But I want us to give us an opportunity. All the house lights are down. Sorry, we're going to turn the dark. So if there are children running around, things like that, parents, you may need to take hold of your children just for a moment because we're going to give some privacy to the people who are here. Let's close our eyes because I want to pray for people whose commanding officer is not Jesus this morning. Maybe your commanding officer this morning is shame. Lust, image, money, whatever it is. This morning, it's time for, I believe, a regime change. It's time for change. Wouldn't you love to be able to stand as Craig stood this morning in the baptistry and testify to his regime change? So right now, Christians, pray. Pray. I'm going to give a call for people to stand where they are. No one's looking. No one's looking. I will look out. I will acknowledge you. Probably won't know your name and I'm certainly not going to call your name out. But right now, if that is you, if you are here and it's time to declare that regime change to Jesus to be my commanding officer, I'm not going to get you to come forward. I'm just going to simply get you to stand and you want that word because you know that harvest by the end of your life, that harvest, the best fruit of all, is going to be people. And Paul is saying to be a good soldier to be a good athlete, to be a good farmer, that you will live into your calling if you do this because you were made for more. So right now, all that's said and done, if that is you to put Jesus back at the top of that list of commanding officers, if you want to do that this morning, and it won't be everyone, but if you know Jesus is not your commanding officer, would you please stand right where you are? Keep the lights down, please. Please stand where you are. If you know here, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Well done. Whatever it is, God knows. He sees your heart. I believe He wants to say to you this morning shame off you and shame on me. Stay standing. Stay standing. I know this is not easy. Many of you have stood this morning and something's happening deep within your heart and your life to be standing amongst people here today in a non-threatening kind of way. But God's doing that work. And I want to say again, will you join with these people who are standing? It's not too late to stand, by the way. I want to give you 30 more seconds to stand. I'm going to be quiet. 30 more seconds and I'm going to pray. If you haven't stood with these people yet, I want you to stand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 30 seconds. Father, these people who have stood here this morning have declared a regime change. They're in a spiritual battle and whatever's over their hearts, whatever's over their life at this moment, that you would come into that situation and by your word, by your Holy Spirit, that you would guide, you would comfort, you would correct, you would rebuke, you would teach, you would train. You would convict, and ultimately, just like the story we've heard this morning, you would be the one who would transform. And as a good soldier, that these people who are standing here this morning, that they would be loyal to their commanding officer. They would be obedient. They would be devoted and learn what it is to be sacrificial, to be Jesus-centered and others-focused. And as an athlete, it wouldn't just be a weekly thing, a monthly thing six-monthly thing, but it would be a 24-7 thing as an athlete. And as a farmer, that they'd prepare the ground, that they would work hard, that they would turn the soil, that they would sow the seeds, that they would water it, they would protect it, and that they would learn to wait, but there's still work to do in the waiting. And they would reap that harvest. They'd be patient to reap that harvest. That harvest of people. Help us, Lord, to see people the way you See people. Please be seated now. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you. And there's time for all of us now to remember as we come to communion, this this meal that we enjoy together as a family where Jesus, with his disciples, said to remember him, to remember him. And we're going to pass in a moment. We're going to invite the team to come now to pass out the elements, to remember our commanding officer, We're going to pass this bread biscuit and this juice. This bread biscuit reminds us of the, the body of Jesus that was broken for us so we can walk in healing, we can walk in wholeness and His forgiveness. It also reminds us that we are broken. We need a lot of help. We need His help. We need His grace and His healing. We're going to take the cup and this juice and it's not just juice. This is a reminder to us that Jesus shed His blood for us so we don't have to walk in shame so we don't have to walk in condemnation, that we can walk confidently in his forgiveness, in his grace and his mercy. All followers of Jesus are invited to eat and to drink in remembrance of our Lord, our Savior, our commanding officer. There'll be some more instructions on the screen. Please stay where you are as our team serve you now in Jesus' name.